yesterday, I recognize that that sounds like some far out word. What that word really means is it's found in Revelation chapter 3. In fact, why don't we go ahead and make our way over there. We've been studying through the book of Revelation chapter 3, looking at the the seven letters that our Lord wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor around 95 A.D. He was addressing through these seven letters real circumstances that were going on in those churches. All of those things are literal. They could have been applied to those churches. They, They were too... Uh, to, to take those things that the Lord wrote to them and be obedient to those things. And yet, the way that God has supernaturally laid out the book of Revelation is that those seven letters also represent seven periods of church history that pick up where the book of Acts leaves off, and it takes us all the way up in an outline form through these seven letters to bring us up to the rapture of the church, which is found in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. We are living in the last of those seven periods of church history. A a letter was written to the church in Laodicea that represents this very period of time that we are living in. And what the, the letter to the Laodiceans lets us know is that we think that we are better than we are. We think that we're at one place with God when we're really at a totally different place from His perspective. And one of the things that I found about Laodiceans is Laodiceans always think that the Laodiceans are somebody other than themselves. You see, the Laodiceans, it's, it's not us, it's the liberals. It's the other people. And you see, that's the chief characteristic of Laodiceans. Is they always think it's somebody else. Because I'm spiritually rich and increased with goods and have needed nothing. I, I see just perfectly. And I've got it all together. And yet God says, and yet you are the one that don't realize that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. And you see... One of the things that's characteristic of Laodiceans is Laodiceans don't want to come to church and hear that. They want to go where somebody, it says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, is going to scratch them where they itch. And you see where Laodiceans are just longing to be scratched is for somebody to tell them how good they are and how positive the world is and how all these things are all just wonderful when the truth of the matter is it ain't good. And it does stink. And we do stink. And we are wretched. And we are miserable. And we need God to do something to change us. And you see, there's a a letter written to the church period just prior to this one. It was a letter written to the church at Philadelphia. And it was the period of time in history from around the late 1500s right up to around 1900 when it was the greatest period of church history. The greatest revivals were taking place. The greatest preaching was was taking place. It, It was the time of the greatest missionary movement in the world as doors to the world were literally opening up everywhere and God's people were so in tune with what God was saying that they were hearing His voice and they were forsaking all that they had to go to the ends of the earth and take the gospel to people. And what we've begun to see in this this place 
is we've begun to see uh, just a, a, little, a little glimpse of what it really can be as God begins to open doors. And one of the greatest concerns that I have is that we might be at the place to where we begin to look at all kinds of things that are going on in this church and think that we are at a different place than where we really are. The, the pastors, one of the things that we do, and we have been so out of sync for so long that it's just, in, 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 oh my goodness, y'all need to pray for us. But one of the things that we, we do is we, we come in here on Monday morning and we, we walk into this room, and I'm a jerk, I'll tell you, I'm a jerk. I, I don't know why I'm put together the way that I am, but when I pray, I like for it to be dark, you know? I mean, I, I, I realize you, you do your thing when you pray and and so the, the guys kind of accommodate me, and so we meet in this room, and, and we, we walk into this room in the dark, you know? And we just, uh, that's the way that it is. We, we walk in over here, and we kind of come at, you know, different times, about every two minutes somebody's walking in. And, and so, you know, you'll be in here, and you'll be sitting down, you'll walk, watch them walk in the door, and you'll see it, the, the silhouette, and, and, and they're over here like this. Okay, you know, and, and now your eyes have adjusted, you know, and so, I mean, you can see, you can see everything, you know, you see the monitors there, and, and they start about right here, going, they, they know that these monitors are somewhere there, and so it's, it's like this, and so we're, we're, we're talking, we're carrying on a conversation, but the longer you're in here, the easier it is to see all the stuff around you, even in the dark. I mean, after a little while, you can even tell what time it is, you know? Because you be, you're in the dark so long and, and your eyes just start adjusting to the darkness. And in Laodicea, we've been in the dark so long that when there is just a little light, it just seems like, Wow! Do you see this? This is incredible! Do you see what's going on? And, and there's a great illustration of this in the book of Ezra. And I'd like to ask you to turn back there if you would, if you can find it. All of you don't have jet lag. The book of Ezra, chapter 3. Just a little bit over to the left, if you can find the Psalms, which are right in the middle of your Bible. Ezra chapter 3. Now, by the time we come to Ezra chapter 3, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, they've been in captivity for 70 years, and, and now, after 70 years of captivity, they've been released. And it's a great time in Ezra chapter 3. I mean, there are some exciting things that, that are going on. The people are gathered together in unity. In, in verse 1, in verse 3, the altar is set up and they're offering burnt offerings morning and evening. In verse 4, they kept also the Feast of Tabernacles and they're offering this and that. In verse 5, in the new moons and all the set feasts of the Lord. But you'll notice in verse 6, 
that the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. And I want us to pick up in verse, in verse 10. Now in verses 8 and 9, they start organizing to see that this thing gets done, that the temple of the, the Lord, the foundation of that thing can be laid. So they're starting to get everything all pulled together. And then look at verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord at the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course, and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, do you see this? This is exciting stuff, man. I mean, after 70 years, no temple. I mean, it's just laid waste. And, and now, wow, they're, they're set free. And now the temple is about to be built once again. And so, man, there is, there's, there's praise that is, that is going on. And the cymbals and the trumpets and... And oh man, it sounded like it sounded in here this morning. I mean, it's just oh, it, it's happening. Verse twelve. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. So the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. You see what's happening? People that had no clue as to what that first temple was all about. Man, when they saw this thing happening, they were so stoked. This was wonderful, man. But the old people who saw that first one and they saw this two-bit thing going up, they're grieved. And while some are just so excited about all the wonderful things that are happening, those that really knew couldn't get too excited and filled with, with grief. And what I'm trying to show you here is we've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember the period of time that we're living in. We've got to remember what God says is true. And so what He does is He lets us get a glimpse of what it was like in the Philadelphian church period so that we don't compare ourselves among ourselves. Because... I, you know, and, and I hope this doesn't go against the grain of some of you folks who are guests with us today. But the truth of the matter is, the things that are happening in this church with regard to missions, if we compare ourselves among ourselves in Laodicea, man, it's time to hoop it up and shout and high-five each other and just, man, exactly what you see here. But, if you understand that Philadelphian church period and what was happening there, what is taking place here, guys, it's wonderful. 
And, and I'm telling you, I'm blessed to be a part of it. I'm thrilled. You understand? And, and yet, we've got to make sure that we don't compare ourselves to the wrong standard. We've got we to look back at Philadelphia, the Philadelphian church period, and see what was happening there. And then we'll begin to understand where we aren't as a church. And, and what we began to do last week, and, and what my goal was, because we spent so much time in church history in this church, two solid years going through the prophetic application of these, these seven letters, that now as we are taking the time to go expositionally through the entire book of Revelation, what my goal was, was to take each period of, of history and, and just hit it in, in one week. And, and we were, we were, I, I was achieving the goal until we came to, to Philadelphia. And after talking about all of the, the glorious things that God was doing during the Philadelphian church period, I, I felt like we, we couldn't just go on to Laodicea and hit that because we have a whole letter here. We have a letter that begins in Revelation chapter 3. Why don't you go back there? Verses 3 through 7. And what the Lord does is He lets us have a glimpse of what this Philadelphian church period was all about. And what were the characteristics of this church and why it was that God, looking at that church, would unleash His power upon them and would open the doors for them to the world and, and missions was taking place. And, and so what we, what we did is rather than achieve our goal of, of going through these, these letters one, one letter a week, is, it was, we said, you know what? Let, let's just do this since we're Laodicean. Let's just go back. And let's look and see what was it that this church had back in the Philadelphian period. And how is it that we as Laodiceans that live in a Laodicean church period, how is it that we can grab and have as a part of, of our Christian life this Philadelphian existence, what we're calling a, a new Philadelphian church age? We are the First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia. And what I want to see God do in this church is, I want, though we are living in the Laodicean church period, I want us to be able to have a new Philadelphian existence in our lives individually and as a church. And so that's, that's what we began to do last week. And we, we began to talk about five factors that make new Philadelphians out of individuals and churches in Laodicea. And one of the first things that we began to notice as we began to look into this letter is the fact that the way that the Lord presents Himself to this church in the Philadelphian church period was very unique. And so just stepping back from that and looking at that, what we began to see is that there is one key principle, at least one, the first of the five factors, one key principle that needs to be a part of us if we're ever going to be what those Philadelphian church believers were, even though we're living in Laodicea. And the first thing that we began to see that is going to make the difference is the Christ that we know. Now that's just, that's just real simple. That's just real basic. But the Christ 
that we know is going to make the difference whether or not we remain Laodicean believers or we experience and tap into what God really wants us to experience as Philadelphians, the Christ that we know. And we began talking last, or last time about the fact that the Jesus that most Laodiceans know is a different Jesus than the Jesus that presents himself to this church in the Philadelphian church period. And listen, the Philadelphian church age was what it was because it was a church that saw the Lord Jesus Christ and knew the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of His glory. They saw Jesus Christ the same way that John saw Him in Revelation chapter 1. And we began to talk about the fact that in each of these seven letters, the Lord, and we, we, we were following a consistent outline. We, we looked at the commission to each of, of these churches. That, that is, the letter written to the church at Ephesus and the church in Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia. That's the commission. And, and it's consistent, that part of the outline. The second thing that the Lord does is, is the character. He presents some aspect of His character to that church that that church in that period of time needed to understand and needed to apply to their situation. And we saw how that in each one of these letters, the character of Christ that our Lord uses in presenting Himself to these churches, you can go back into Revelation chapter 1 when John saw the Lord in all of the fullness of His glory, you can go back and see specifically where our Lord in addressing Himself to these churches picked up from what John was revealing about what he saw when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ that way. And you can do that consistently with every single one of these letters except for the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And the Lord presents Himself to this church in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3. And He says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. And what we begin to see is you cannot go into Revelation chapter 1 and see specifically where the Lord is pulling that aspect of His character from. And as I began to look at that thing and just began to say, Lord, I know that when you break a pattern like that, that there's a reason, there's something you're trying to show us through that. And what I began to understand is what our Lord is describing in verse 7 is the composite of everything that John saw. This was the only church. The Philadelphian church period was the only church that saw Christ in the fullness of His majesty and glory, in the fullness of His holiness. And it was just that point. It was every bit of that that John saw that led him in chapter 1. Look at it in verse 17 that caused John to fall at his feet, that is the Lord Jesus Christ's feet, as dead. John saw the holiness of the risen and glorified Christ and the only response that he could have, the most comfortable position that he could find himself in was on his face at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I mean, he came to the point. He who had this intimate walk with the Lord all through the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as that beloved apostle. He is the one that laid his head on the breast of Jesus and yet he sees the risen and glorified Christ in all of his holiness and he has got to get at his feet. He's got to get on his face. And here is John, absolutely lifeless. You get it? Self. Obliterated. And you see, the thing that made the Philadelphian church period, the Philadelphian church period, was it was a church that saw the Lord Jesus Christ the same way that John did. And it was a church that had the same exact response to His holiness that John had. And it too fell at His feet as dead. The believers in the Philadelphian church period, their life was obliterated. Their will was obliterated. Their rights were obliterated because of the way that they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the Christ that they knew in the Philadelphian church period, self died and they laid at His feet selfless. And like we saw in the what took place with Isaiah, it's amazing the things that you can hear the Lord say from His feet. Isaiah saw the holiness of the Lord. And he confessed his sin. Because you see, that's the response of people who see the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see that, you see yourself for who you are and you confess your sin. You humble yourself before Him. And then you begin to hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And nobody in Laodicea hears that voice anymore because their hearing is so clogged because of sin in their life that gets accumulated in our spiritual ears that keeps us from hearing the voice of the Lord. And so we can merrily go on our way living our life for ourselves because we can't hear the voice of Almighty God saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? But here was this, this church, the, the church in the Philadelphian church, period. They saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of His glory. And what we began to look at was, and this is the Christ that they had come to know and the Christ that we must come to know if we're going to experience a new Philadelphian experience in Laodicea. It was pointing letter A on your outline for those of you that still have it. Forgive me. In coming back yesterday, I did not have time to get the study sheet pulled together. But we, the Christ that we know is going to be the thing that makes the difference. And point A under that is that we must have, if we're ever going to be anything other than a Laodicean, we must have an overwhelming comprehension of Christ's holiness. We must come to know Christ with an overwhelming comprehension of His holiness. Jesus says in verse 7, These things saith He 
that is holy. This was a church that saw the Lord Jesus Christ in His holiness. And as a result of that, they saw themselves just like Isaiah did. And then they had the same response. They began to hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And as a result, they were going. And God was opening up doors all across the world. But you see, in Laodicea, folks, the Christ that we know... Now, now the Lord Jesus Christ is no less holy. It's just the Christ that we know in Laodicea. We don't see Him in the full holiness that is His like they did in Laodicea. Our Lord says, These things saith He that is holy. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, through everything that your life, everything that your life is saying to God, it ought to say that you are holy by the life that we live. Because we see Him in all of His holiness. And as a result of that, He says, you be holy just like that. And you see, if we have a tainted or shallow view of His holiness, the result is we're going to have a tainted and shallow life of holiness that we actually live before Him. The, the, the command was to be holy as He is holy. And so to really live a holy life, you've got to understand and have such a high view of God that you see Him in the fullness of His holiness. And when you do, you will begin to see yourself the way that the Philadelphians saw themselves. And they cast themselves before Him in the fear of God. We, we, we spent quite a bit of time last time talking about the fact that 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says that we are to perfect holiness in the fear of God. And I do think that it's quite interesting in the last days of the Laodicean period, everywhere you go, it's no fear. No fear. You see it on the back of windows. You see it on T-shirts. And, and it's a smug, no fear of anything. And you know what? Laodiceans, even believers, live their life just like that. No fear even of God. But when you understand just how holy He is, you begin to perfect holiness in the fear of God. But He didn't just present Himself to this church as He that is holy. Look at verse 7 of Revelation chapter 3. He goes on to say, These things saith He that is true. And the point that I'm wanting you to see here is that if we're ever going to get from Laodicea to New Philadelphia, this is letter B, we must also have an unqualified surrender to His truth. We must have an unqualified surrender to His truth. Number one, we must have an overwhelming comprehension of His holiness. And now, letter B, we must have an unqualified surrender to His truth. And you see, that's what the believers in the Philadelphian church period had, folks, an unqualified surrender.
surrender to his truth. Jesus says, these things saith he that is true. And you know what? When he spoke, the Philadelphian church period believers, they believed him. They believed what he said. They understood that truth wasn't just a precept. They understood that truth wasn't just a principle. The Philadelphian church period was a period that understood that truth is a person. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I'm the truth. It's a person, y'all. Truth is a person. These things saith he that is true. And yet, Jesus himself said in John 17 and verse 17, Thy word is truth. And you see, of course, both of those things can be true because John 1, 1 says that Jesus is the word. He is the word personified. He is the word made flesh. And you see, you turn back to Psalm 119 real quick. Psalm 119. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus said, Thy word is truth. And that's why Psalm 119 and verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning. And you get it? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the psalmist says, Thy Word is true from the beginning, and every one of Thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You see, when he that is true makes a determination, when he that is true expresses an opinion, when he that is true assesses a situation, when he that is true makes a judgment, you can bank on it. That's what verse 160 says. You can build your life on it. And you see, that's what the Philadelphian believers had. They believed Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 that we ought to let God be true. And every man, you know what the rest of it says? A liar. You see, that's what the Philadelphian church period believed, y'all, that God was true. And every man, a liar. And you see, the problem in Laodicea is we don't believe that. Oh, now, now listen, I, I understand. We would never call God a liar and every man true because no, 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 no. You've got to understand this about Laodiceans. We're far too refined to ever say something like that. We're far too polished to ever say something like that. We're far too spiritual to ever make a blasphemous statement like that. We just live like God's a liar and every man is true. You see, that's, that's our conversation in Laodicea. 
the, the biblical word conversation there, it, it means your manner of living. In, in other words, when God looks at our life, what our life is saying to him is, you're a liar, and yet every man is true. Because you see, in, in Laodicea, we still think our opinion matters. Right? We have such a low view of God and His holiness and His truth and such a high view of ourselves, we still consult our opinions and the opinions of those that we respect even when it's in direct contrast, contrast to what God has clearly stated. We still think as Laodiceans that it's our job to make determinations. We still think that we're supposed to assess the situation. And so what we do is we assess it and then we huddle together with other believers for debriefing and strategizing so that we can begin to do all of the things that we think that we need to do. We still think that it's up to us to make judgments rather than just ask, what does he that is true say about this? And just run with what he says. You understand what I'm saying? Hello? Y'all got jet lag or is it just me? You see, in Laodicea, we spend a lot of time talking about how, how busy we are. But we spend most of our tri time forming opinions. And even more time justifying and rationalizing the rightness of the opinion that we just had. And you see, the bottom line is, we really don't believe that He is true and that we're not only clueless, but that we're liars. And, and so you see, what we do in Laodicea is we lie to ourselves. Laodiceans think one thing is true because they lie to themselves because they don't see that He is the one who is true. And you see, the Philadelphian believers, man, they, they, you know what? They didn't waste their time with all of this Laodicean stuff. What they did is they got into this book and because he is true and every man is a liar, what they did is they just came to this book and they made his opinions, their opinions, and the case was settled. They made his righteous judgments. And those to the to Philadelphian believers, those were the only judgments that mattered because he is true and every man is a liar. But, but you see, in, in Laodicean, not only do Laodiceans have opinions and, and judgments of their own. Remember? You remember what Laodicea means? The word Laodicea means the rights of the people. And you see, Laodiceans not only have opinions of their own and judgments of their own, they also have rights. We've come to know Jesus Christ and we've received Him as the Lord of our life and yet we still live our life as though we have rights. But you've got to see Philadelphian believers look at that and say, that is a lie. It's a lie. We don't have rights. 
because he that is true said in first corinthians chapter 6 19 and 20 that we're not our own now that we've come to know the lord jesus christ as our savior we're not our own and the reason that we're not is because we have been bought with a price the price was the precious blood of jesus christ and so you see Philadelphian believers don't don't sit around moping about their lot in life. They Philadelphian believers don't sit around like Laodiceans whining about how unfair life is. Laodiceans or Philadelphians are unlike Laodiceans in the fact that they don't spend their time seeking to to get everything that's coming to them because you see Philadelphians are afraid that maybe they might just get it. We understand, if you're a Philadelphian, you understand, you don't want everything that's coming to you because everything that we deserve is nothing but hell. That, that's, that's the right that we have. We have the right to go to hell. Philadelphians don't spend their time politicking and campaigning or manipulating situations so that everything will fall into their favor. See, that's a, that's a Laodicean characteristic. We want to grab a hold of our life and do everything that we can to make sure everything goes our way. Philadelphians have resigned themselves to the fact we have no life. That this is, this is His life. And that as the truth says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, He died so that we would stop living for ourselves that was the whole reason that he died and Phil, and Laodiceans spend their whole life trying to claim the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and yet live life for themselves but he that is true said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 that we have been crucified with Christ and now he wants to live his life through us. And as Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, we're dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. And, and so when Laodiceans talk about rights, Philadelphians don't jump on the bandwagon and, and, and start trying to make things happen. They live their lives making the statement to God, let God be true and every man a liar. If Laodiceans say that we have rights, we don't listen to that. We have no rights because of what He paid for us, His own blood. Laodiceans come to Jesus. And yet, even in coming to Jesus that they claim is their Lord. They live their lives according to the world's philosophy. That your success in life is determined by what you wear and by what you drive and by where you live. Philadelphians say that's a lie because he that is true said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the 
things which he possesseth. Philadelphians know and believe that he that is true even told us specifically in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, not to live our lives seeking to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth that moths can eat. What you wear. And not to spend our lives seeking to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth that rust can corrupt. What we drive. And not, I mean, he said this specifically. Don't live your life for that stuff. What you wear, what you drive. Don't live your life seeking to lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth that thieves can break through and steal. Now what is it that Laodiceans think is so wonderful that thieves like to break into? It's such a statement of who we are. It's where we live, isn't it? And all the stuff that we spend all of our time seeking to put in that place that thieves can break into and steal. And you see, while the world, like at no other period of time, is going to hell at a greater percentage than at any period of time in the history of man, while the world is dying and going to hell, Laodiceans spend their time and energy trying to seek those very things that God said, don't lay up for yourselves this junk. And while God keeps blessing us and blessing us so that we can lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal, while He keeps blessing us and blessing us so that we can invest in His kingdom, you know what we do? We keep spending it and spending it on the very things that He told us not to invest in while we rationalize and justify ourselves that we're doing both because, you see, we give ten bucks a week over and above our tithe and offering to missions. The Philadelphians cry out to God with David in Psalm 119, verse 36, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness, which Colossians chapter 3 says is, say it with me, idolatry. See, that, that's, that's Laodicea, y'all. That was not characteristic of the Philadelphian church period. They believed He that is true. Laodiceans say the vocation that you choose will determine your success. So, young people, find a vocation that will make you lots of money. Study the market and, and find a vocation that's going somewhere in this world and will provide you great opportunity for ad advancement. But it's a lie. Truth 
says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 that the day that we got saved, God gave us our vocation. And it's to spend our life walking worthy, which includes fulfilling our part in the Great Commission to make disciples in all nations. And and listen, you may have a a full-time job, but listen, that is certainly not, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not your vocation. Your vocation is walk worthy and make disciples in all nations. That's your job. That's what you're doing on this planet. Not the vocation that you've acquired because of your skills. Well, he has great people skills. He has great business skills. Well, you can go somewhere with that, buddy. No. Find you a job that can fund your real vocation to make disciples. Laodiceans say, well, you know, now listen. You know, down at, down at the Baptist, down there, you know, they keep talking about, you know, being fanatical with, with your faith. And, and listen, you don't want to do that. This is, yeah, come on, man. You'll never relate to the people of this world. And, and you see, because we can relate so well to the people of this world, we have nothing to say to them. We're so much like them that they don't see any difference in us. Because we're just like them. It's just we tagged Jesus onto the back somewhere. Right. He certainly wasn't worth giving everything up for. So no, you don't want to get too fanatical with your faith. And, and, and listen, you know, come on, man. And sex is just a, it's just a part of living in the real world. So uh, yeah, maybe you don't want to do it, but hey, there's nothing wrong with going and you know, watching people do all of this. No, that's, that's a lie. Because truth says flee from it. Truth says avoid it. Truth says don't commit it. Truth says abstain from it. Truth says mortify it. Truth says he that is true says let it not once be named among you. Philadelphian believers, those that really have tapped into what this thing is really all about, say let God be true. And every man, no matter what this culture, no matter what the rest of Christianity says, let God be true. And every man a liar. And, and you know what? I, I, come on. We could go on and on and on in, uh, about the, the, the lies that we buy into in Laodicea that keep us disconnected from He that is true. That keep us from having an unqualified surrender to His truth. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Listen. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And, and you see, we, we will see the truth of the Word of God effectually work in us when we receive it, just like Paul just wrote there in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. When we receive it for what it is, the truth of God. Not when we rationalize it. Not when we reason with it. 
Not when we rearrange it to fit our lives. Not when we replace it for the wisdom of men, but when we receive it. You know, Pastor Mark, if you didn't have jet lag, you might have thought that was a good place for an amen. When we just come to this book, y'all, and because he that is true said it, we just come to it and we've got an unqualified surrender. That's what I believe right there. He that is true said it. Now, all the voices in Christianity, they don't say that, but they're liars. This is what truth says. And James 1.21 says, listen, receive with meekness the engrafted word. You know what that is? That is an unqualified surrender to his truth. It's, it's the spirit. It's the spirit of Philadelphia that says, I present myself to your word, Father, and surrender myself totally to your Lordship. Before we ever even know what He's going to ask. Because He's true. And when He that is true speaks, it's righteous judgment. And so we don't have to, we don't have to do anything with it, right? You don't even have to add water to it. You don't have to bake it. You don't have to do anything. When he says it, just receive it. And you know, you know when you're there. You know when Philadelphia is starting to be a part of you. When you can say three simple words to the Lord. Just just three. Whatever. Whatever. Wherever. Whenever. When we're not coming to His Word, and this is what Laodiceans do. Laodiceans come to His Word, and they've got, oh, they're so full of self. Laodiceans are so full of self. They they come to His Word, and what they really want is, is they want God to zap them. God, make me make me do it. I don't want to. So God zap me. What we want is we want God to move in and override our will and our desires and our plans. Philadelphians humbly come to His truth with the attitude. Show me. Show me, Lord, what You want me to do. And Lord, Whatever it is, I'll do it. Show me where you want me to go. And Lord, wherever it is on this planet, Lord, I'll go. And show me when you want me to do it. And Lord, whenever it is, I'm there. You see, folks, listen. That's why Philadelphia, that's why Philadelphia was what it was. Because that's the spirit of Philadelphia. 
that's the way our, our Philadelphian brothers and sisters approached this book. And, and Philadelphia will never be a part of us until we too have an unqualified surrender to his truth. And, and then there's a, a third thing that I, I want to hit th- this morning. There's a third thing that's necessary about the Christ we must know in the Laodicean age if we're going to experience a new Philadelphian life, and that is, letter C on your outlines, we must have an utter dependence upon His authority and access. And you know what? We're not going to go to the next one. Um, I, I think we. I, I think what's going to happen is I think I'm going to force the point. I'm going to be fighting the clock, and that the point is is far too important for for us to to mess with. And now listen. And the point that we just covered is far too important for us to just breeze by like it didn't happen, folks. We're, we're, we're Laodiceans. And God has done some great things in this church. And, and, and I'm not trying to say that God hasn't done those things or that we shouldn't be excited. Hey, there are plenty of things to be excited about. But we cannot get off of the fact that there is a whole lot of Laodicea that's connected to our eyes, to our ears, to our wallets, to our attitudes. I, I you know, I, I grew up in, in, in Florida and was at the beach every chance that I, I could get. And, you know, there used to be, you know, you'd be at these, uh, the, the piers and the big pilasters and, and the intercoastal waterway and you used to do weird things there and, you know, try to get into that current and, and come into those pilasters. But, oh man, you had to be so careful because right underneath those pilasters, I mean, it's just smooth as it can be all the way down until it comes under the water and then there's barnacles that attach themselves to those things and they are just razor sharp, man. You, you grab a hold of one of those things, it'll just split you wide open. And, and there's all kinds of Laodicean barnacles that have attached themselves to us. But we're, we're kind of like the top of those, those pilasters. We, we refine it. We make it look so smooth, so acceptable. That, that's Laodicea. We've learned how to look the part without being the part. We've got all of this, this junk on us. And, and that's, that's why w- when we come to this church, that, that's why we spend so much, much time talking in the negative. It's so that we don't just get to the point to where we have accepted the barnacles as if this is the way that it's supposed to be. And so we've got to just keep letting the, the Spirit of God just start chiseling away 
at, at those barnacles that have attached themselves to us. And one of the dangers that the Laodiceans have also is they they kind of like the hard stuff too. You know what? One of the dangers I have about this church is this: the harder that it is, the better the people in this church like it. We like it. Because we don't intend to do anything about it. That's why we like it. We like for somebody to cut it straight. Because that's not characteristic of Laodicea. Maybe what needs to happen is we need to get to the point where we hate what we hear. Because we have to keep forcing ourselves to face the fact we don't live it. We don't want to. And while we're sitting around waiting for him to zap us, more and more people keep dying and going to hell. Dying and going to hell. We're waiting for God to do something with His truth. Where what we've seen this morning is for this truth to effectually work in us, we've got to receive it. We receive it. And then it does its thing. And oh, buddy, it is sharp. And it's powerful. But until we come with an unqualified surrender to it as truth, it won't effectually work in us. And I'll tell you, you know what? I, I'd rather, I'd rather, I, I'm telling you, I'd rather you beat me to a bloody pulp this morning than preach this message. You know why? I am a Laodicean. And I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And I want... You, you, know, you know how I know so much about Laodicea? Because I am one. And you know how I know about this thing? We want God to zap us and override our wills and our desires because that's what I sit around waiting for God to do in my life. But I'm just telling you, as long as we're there, we'll never experience what Philadelphia is all about. Let's pray.